It's been a couple weeks since I've got to sing with you. Um, we're going to continue on with our booklets. If anybody wants one, there's some at the front. And our scripture memory songs. So the first one we're going to start with is As the Deer, which comes from Psalm 42. So let's stand and sing together. Psalm 142. Um, the theme that I chose, I didn't know what Jeremy was going to speak on, but I chose all ones that come from the Psalms. And it's kind of comforting to know that for like millennia, people haven't been singing them necessarily in the same style or tune that we have, but these same words have been sung to God in um, from humans for a very long time.
Zion, I find comfort in you. Welcome to church this morning. If you'd like to read with me the scripture that's in your bulletin, it is from Psalm 66, verses 1 and 2, and verse 5. Let's read together. Shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. 
Tell the world how glorious he is. Come and see what our God has done. What awesome miracles he performs for his people. If you'd like to bow with me, let's pray as we continue to worship. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the beautiful weather that you've given us, that we can enjoy a wonderful day of rest and remembrance and worship of you. We thank you that we can gather together in freedom. We thank you that we have Jeremy to come and share your word to us this morning. Thank you for the message um, that you've laid on his heart. We pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning and we'd be challenged by it. And we just thank you that we can worship you through singing, that we can worship you through our prayer, that you're a God who listens, who cares about our needs and our concerns, and we can bring them to you. And we thank you that you're a God that changes. You're a God that forgives and helps us to address the sin in our lives. And we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for all these good things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brad's going to come and do our scripture reading for us this morning. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Matthew, and we'll be reading from chapter 27, verses 35 to 44. So Matthew 27, verses 35 to 44. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus the king of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. And in the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Brad. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see. Uh, I wasn't totally deserted. There's actually a pretty good, uh, pretty good crowd here. So good to see. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Good thing you're here, though. First call. <clears throat> Anyways, if you just bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for, for your word to us. We thank you that you have, have given it to us freely, that we can study it and learn from it, Lord. And, uh, and this is you speaking to us and teaching us, Lord. So I just pray that you will use me as a vessel this morning uh, to deliver a message that you have laid on my heart. And so, yeah, I just ask that everyone will, uh, uh, will listen and, uh, yeah, and just help me to, uh, to deliver this message. In your name we pray. Amen. 
So, first of all, I am a little nervous up here. But it's not so much a nervousness from being up here, but it's mixed with a nervousness of the importance of delivering God's message. It's, it's, a, it's a task that, that one should not take lightly, and, uh, and it's very important. So that, that is part of my, my nervousness for, for being here. So bear with me. Uh, please forgive me if, 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 you're, uh, or, uh, if you're home early. I'm not sure how long this will take. Or please forgive me if I rattle on and you're home two hours later. So I'm not sure how long this is going to go, but uh, just bear with me. So what I want to share with you this morning is uh, a message that I said has been laid on my heart for a long time. I remember, I don't remember the exact time I first first read it, but I know it was a long time ago. But what I do know is, is when I read it, it, uh, it, just, it just hit me right here. And it still does to this day every time I read, uh, read what I want to share with you this morning. So let's dig in. So as Brad read for you uh, through Matthew, we know about the crucifixion of Jesus and that whole, and that whole, uh, and that whole story. And uh, so what I want to share with you this morning is kind of a parallel story. So we all know we all know the story of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the greatest story ever told. Amen. But what I want to share with you is is a is a parallel story that takes a totally different path, though, but comes around eventually full circle and brings them back together. So. What we know about the Bible, and I've learned this from Chris, he, he, he talks about it Friday nights at youth, it's absolute truth, right? Front to back, top to bottom, inside and out. Absolute truth. But what we also learn from, uh, from the book of John right at the end, he talks about how there's so much that went on that they couldn't, they couldn't write it all. They couldn't put it all in. There's, there's not enough books, not enough wor- words that could contain it all. So that allows us a little bit of freedom, I guess, if you will, to, to imagine and to uh, develop, I guess, a, a storyline that, that fits along with, with facts in the Bible. And so what I want to do is kind of tell you this, my version of a theoretical story of, again, this parallel life, somewhat parallel life to, uh, to Jesus. So, we know Jesus was, you know, around, at the time he was crucified, he was in his mid-30s kind of a thing. So, we know roughly when he was born. And so, I'm, this story I want to tell happens about the same time. So, we know Jesus, we know, or we should all know, Jesus' story by now. So, this other story I want to set for you is, some, is, a, is a story of a, of a boy who grows into a man at around the same time as Jesus. So imagine this young boy born into a family, probably not an exceptional family. Uh, you know, they were probably, probably poor and struggled. And, uh, and I imagine may not have even had a good relationship with his father. Maybe he didn't even have a father. So I imagine this young man, a simple life, growing up, poor and struggling and always 
always kind of angry at the world and bitter and wondering why why he doesn't have the same things that others do. You know, why doesn't he have the latest van sandals or, you know, whatever, whatever was hip in that day. Why are they always struggling? And he grows up, you know, he grows up and, you know, probably bullies kids for lunch money and whatever else. But, uh, and just, just grew up with this, with this frustrated, bitter, kind of lost life. And as he grows up, he gets into more and more trouble. And, uh, you know, in trouble with, with the law, with the authorities. They know who he is. And then one day, uh, he kind of grows into, gets into a crowd. You know, the, the wrong crowd. Kind of the... Um, the hoodlums, the no goodniks, the other side of the track, the other side of the tracks, that kind of group, and he starts to hang around with this kind of group, and again they continue to, uh, you know, do unlawful things and just, just things that aren't right, and then eventually they come across this, this charismatic guy, who, I don't know, fills fills their minds with, with visions and great things and. <clears throat> And, you know, they, the world is there. They just need to take it. And this man's name is Barabbas. So this young man who has been growing up, a troubled youth, all of a sudden falls into the crowd with this man named Barabbas. And this man, Barabbas, again, for whatever, for whatever reason, he's got a bitterness and an anger in his heart, too. And he's... Um, you know, angry, angry with the with the Romans, with their authority, and all that sort of stuff. So he's he wants to lead an uprising, a rebellion, and so he uh, so he collars these 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 younger, um, easily easily fooled, easily molded young men into his rabble, and they begin to to stir up trouble, more trouble, and it gets. Uh, you know, it gets worse and worse. And again, you know, they're probably arrested more than once. But this one time, they're finally arrested. And the Romans have had enough. These guys are done. They're sentenced to death. <clears throat> so here they are, under, under Roman authority. Barabbas and these couple other guys, including this, including this young man who's been struggling his whole life. So there they sit on death row, probably in, in or near Pilate's palace, fortress in Jerusalem, waiting to be crucified. And as they're sitting, sitting there pondering this, you know, Barabbas is probably still trying to act all cocky and, hey, guards, you got the wrong guy, let me out, whatever. And the other two are probably just kind of like, Man, this is serious. We're, we're done. And then all of a sudden they begin to hear this commotion outside. Because of where all this takes place, I imagine it's a fairly, fairly close. So where they're, where they're being held would be, uh, 
where Pilate stays when he comes to Jerusalem during the time of the Passover and all that stuff. So whenever he's in Jerusalem, he has this palace, which I read they assumed is also, was also kind of a small fortress in, in Jerusalem. So anyone who would, be, who would be arrested would likely be held at this same place. So these guys are sitting there on death row in, uh, in jail, and they hear all this commotion outside. Crowds of people ang shouting, angry, charging this man named Jesus. And they may or may not have heard of this man before. They may have crossed paths with him. This might be the very first time they've heard his name. But what they hear is a very angry, bitter crowd that grows and grows and swells with greater anger. And they're not sure what's going on. And then, all of a sudden, they hear the name Barabbas shouted out among this crowd. And they're like, what, what's that all about? And sure enough, a short time later, the guards come in, grab Barabbas, and take him out. You're free to go. Get out of here. And these other guys that are left behind are, are kind of shocked. What's going on? But then, to take his place, is this young man named Jesus, brought into their cell with them, to sit and stew and ponder the sentence that's been placed upon him. Now imagine him just sitting there, probably quietly, you know, in prayer with himself, just thinking about, you know, the events that he knows are coming. So they, they might be sitting there all together for the short while, and then all of a sudden the authorities come back again, and they grab Jesus, and they take him outside. And as I said, I, I think this all takes place in a fairly close environment. Uh, they take him out, they take Jesus out to be flogged, publicly flogged. <clears throat> and I can imagine, so they have a special place for this setup where people can gather around and see and I wonder if it isn't maybe even visible right from where the people are jailed. So, the, so these guys in jail can perhaps witness this event. To put fear into them and just, yeah, like that's, you know, that's the purpose of punishment, right? To deter others. <clears throat> so, so there they are. If not, if not watching, I'm sure they can hear it. So here's Jesus, an instant man, being flogged, you know, whoosh, whoosh. And, and probably not crying out, maybe. I mean, it would, it would obviously be very painful. We don't know. But, so just imagine what's going through, through the mind of these, of these guys who know what their fate lays in store. So here's Jesus. Being crucified or being uh, being flogged, and uh, and just being treated very poorly. I'd like you to turn to uh, turn back a bit to uh, uh, to Matthew. Uh, where was it? Did I write it down wrong here? Twenty-seven. I think I wrote that down wrong. It's Luke. Bear with me for a sec. 
Well, I thought I had it written down here. Matthew. Oh yes, here we go. Sorry. Matthew 27. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 to 31. Just, just a hair back from what Brad read. If you want to just follow with me. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. So here he is, after he's been flogged and beaten and humiliated. Now they're getting ready to, uh, to take them up to be crucified. So again, I can imagine these guys that are in jail, they would have to carry their own, their own cross as well, or their own beam. That's what they were charged with carrying. Probably at the same time as Jesus. Maybe a little bit in front of him. Maybe even behind him, seeing what's going on. So again, they're witness to this. They're watching this. And they're led up to the place where they're uh, to be crucified. And they're placed on their crosses and raised up. And we know that in Isaiah 53.12, it says he was placed among the transgressors. So that's what this is. So you have Jesus on his cross in the middle. And these two thieves or rebels, whatever you want to call them, versions, versions are a little different, but kind of the same thing. One on his left and one on his right. So there they are, hung up. Uh, we're... We're told or assumed that Jesus was nailed to the cross. We don't know what, what these other two were. They may have just been tied up. But regardless, they're going to be experiencing a lot of pain and a lot of discomfort as well. But not enough that they can't also join the crowds in continuing to mock Jesus. So the crowd has, has followed this, this, uh, this train going up to the place of crucifixion, and they continue to, to hurl insults at Jesus and to mock him, and to insult him, and just, just disgrace him. And so these two guys hanging there in pain and discomfort and whatever else is going through their mind, 
they still have the strength to, to join in with the crowd too, you know, and say, hey, if you're the son of God, come down and save, save yourself and us too. And then we will believe. But, and you know, Jesus could have easily been, you know, silence, shut up. But he didn't. He was quiet. And all he said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <clears throat> Amazing. <clears throat> but then, throughout all this, the hearts of one of these guys begins to change. And this is the same guy who's, you know, had these struggles all his life, this anger, this bitterness. But as he's going through his final, final hours on earth, he's watching this Jesus. And again, we, we don't know if he's crossed paths, and paths with him before, if he's got any inkling of of who this guy is, or if it's just what he's seen that day, seen and heard that day. But it was enough to, to change his heart and to recognize who he was hanging there with, who he was sentenced to death to die with. Through all this filth and pain, disgrace and suffering, Jesus was able to change one more life. To convert a non-believer, a sinner, a transgressor. Turn with me to Luke 23, 39, 43. Luke 23, 39 to 43. And this is the passage that I was talking about earlier that is always always struck me. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. To me, that's an amazing statement. Imagine Jesus telling you that to your face. The New King James Version says, Jesus, Lord, Remember we when you come into your kingdom. So all in just a few words, he did everything he needed to be saved. He acknowledged that he was a sinner. He acknowledged that Jesus was his Lord. And he asked him to remember him. And Jesus granted him that request. And I just find that amazing, amen? So, to go back a moment. So here's Jesus on his cross. One guy on his left, 
one guy on his right. In my mind, I imagine which side the guy who, who gave his heart to Jesus was on. Any guesses? Any thoughts? I think the right side. Is there any better place to be than at the right hand of God? That's how I imagine it. So for us, it, you know, that, that simple little passage can apply to us very simply. You know, we either accept or reject our Lord and Savior. At the end of the day, that's, that's what it comes down to. A choice. You want to be at God's right hand or not? Regardless of our past or our transgressions, God will welcome us into his kingdom with open arms. Whether we served him most of our lives or come at the last moment. The, uh, the parable of the, of the workers in the field in the denarius comes to mind when you think of that. I remember Mark always got a kick out of that and he was so excited when he, when he got it. And you would always share that with us. But friends, that's what it is. It's our choice. And, you know, it helps me to think also of You know, when we lose loved ones, especially ones who aren't believers, or we don't think they are, you never know what happens in those final moments. You don't know. And though it can be very difficult for a lot of us to, to share the gospel or share our faith with with those we love or with strangers, sometimes you, you don't even need to do that. Just your example, how you live your life. You never know who's watching you, what they're going to pick up on. So that's always given me encouragement. <clears throat> anyway, that's... Uh, that's about all I have to share with you this morning. So, yeah, I guess the takeaway is to, uh, yeah, just be encouraged. But you never know. Music team? Thanks, Jeremy. That was an interesting take on that. I always like hearing from different people. I mean, Pastor Glenn is awesome, and we always learn lots from him, but it's interesting when he's gone and we get a different, a little bit of a different perspective. Let's stand and sing together.
Ladies for leading singing, and well done, Jeremy Peters. God is glorified when we preach the truth of His Word, and we heard that this morning. 
Uh, one thing that's always struck me about that passage is that there's two thieves there. And in the account, they're in the exact same situation. They've committed the exact same acts. And as Jeremy said, they were likely a cohort or a buddy of Barabbas. And Barabbas, we know, was with the custom of the Jews. Pilate was allowed to let one prisoner go. And Pilate was no friend of the Jews, and the Jews were no friend of Pilate. So Pilate's way of, out of that whole situation was he was hoping that, to let Jesus go and be done with the Jews out of his palace and so that when the Passover is over, he could go home because he didn't like his job of where he was. So Barabbas was, he's named in scripture probably because he was a despicable person. And the, the Greek word that they use when they talk about robbers or criminals of the thieves on the cross or thieves it's a deeper word. We use criminals or thieves in English, but the Greek word talks about somebody who has also committed murder. So stealing was not a capital offense. So you couldn't be put to death for stealing in that culture, not legally. Um, so those guys were there because, yeah, they had probably done some stealing and a whole bunch of other stuff, and they were likely rebels. And in their part of whatever little insurrection or plan that they had, they had killed people. So they were murderers. So they were up on the cross for a capital offense. They were not good people. They were very bad people. And probably the worst one of them, who was their leader, Barabbas, Pilate let go. Because the Jews wanted it. Because they wanted Jesus crucified. So that tells you the attitude of the Jewish leaders of how much they hated Jesus. That they would let the more and the most despicable people that you can go free. So, so anyways, there's two guys on the cross who are there getting exactly what they deserved as the one thief said. Two guys, exact same circumstances, two different perspectives. The difference is faith. The first guy said, are you, if you're the Christ, let us go. So his idea was, if Jesus was God, he would prove it by letting us who are guilty go scot-free. Even though we deserve that punishment of death. That was his idea of God. God will give me exactly what I want. What I want from you, if you're God, you're going to let me go. That's, that's the proof, if you're, if you're really God. But the other guy realized in his heart that he was there and deserved to be there. And he said to his buddy, we deserve to be here. We're getting what we deserve. But he said to Jesus, he cried out in mercy. He said, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. That showed a lot of faith. One, he believed that there was, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and that there would be a kingdom, meaning he, was, he knew he was going to die. He wasn't getting off the cross. But he said, Jesus, remember me when this is done, because I know I'm finished, and not the three of us here are finished, but I believe enough or know enough about you, Jesus, that there is more past this. And even though I'm here and I deserve to be here, he was repenting. So that's the difference between the two guys. One guy had faith and repented of his sin and said, Jesus, I know I'm des I deserve to be here, but I cry for you for mercy. Remember me in your kingdom. And the other guy hurled insults. If you're really God, God, and you'll give me what I want, you'll just let me off scot-free. What did Jesus say? He said to the guy who offered in faith and repentance, said, truly, you will join me in paradise. So Jesus, showing that that guy's faith was genuine, 
gave evidence of his salvation, that Jesus said, yes, you're going to be with there. So a great reminder of that story, Jeremy, and those two guys. So remember, often we are like that in our life. So don't put your assurance that you are saved in an experience. When you say, well, when I was three years old, I did this. Or when I was at a church, I went to an altar call, and that's what makes you saved. Those can be a start of salvation, but evidence of your salvation is that you repent of your sin and acknowledge, God, I am a sinner, and you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I deserve that penalty, but I believe that you've taken it for me. I accept what you've done for me, and that's what makes us saved. And when we obey, that's evidence of our salvation. So that's my encouragement to you.